Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Touchdown Bombers! Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is the Brand and Communications Director of the IMMAF, Izzy Carnwath. Izzy, thanks for joining me on today's episode. We just had the Olympics conclude, and our topic of discussion today will will revolve around the Olympics and how the MMA will hopefully get to the Games one day. Thanks for joining me. This is going to be super exciting. Well, thank you for having me on the show. So you've been involved with the IMMAF for quite some time now and under your hat you have the role of looking after brand and you're the communications director as well what are some of the main things that you take care of on a day-to-day basis in your role with them well, it's a fairly broad role because we're a small and growing organization so i look after the brand the communications um broadcast sales and elements of organizing the production comes under my wing the communications for events and um, kind of various other related areas. How did you get involved with them? I'm very curious to know, because this is a small organization and starting to grow. So what was your origin story with, with working with, with them? Well, I was working before with a um, professional promoter in the UK called Bama. I did um, the PR for them for a number of stadium events and, and, and prior to that, actually um, working in an agency which specialised in MMA PR, working with different fighters, working with different promoters. And uh, with the UK not being a market which is regulated for MMA, there was no medical standard there or no medical safety standard, no athletic commissions, nothing like that for the shows. So I got involved in establishing the first medical safety standard for fighters in the UK. It's an organisation called Safe MMA, which is now a charity and it's through that that the IMAF, you can call it IMAF because it's easier, um, This they reached out to me from Sweden. Um, they were quite newly formed and they asked if I'd like to get involved in um, those various areas, but for their first championships in 2014. So I helped with the 2014 Worlds and then subsequently got offered full-time work in the organisation. And I've been there ever since. Oh, wow. So you, you mentioned... The, the safety and standard regulations and how in the UK it wasn't regulated before. What was the reasoning b- behind that? Because I'm, I'm very fascinated to know since across the world with a sport like MMA, the big questions come up about safety and health protocols all the time. And that's probably one of the biggest things I'm sure as we'll get into later is to people talking about oh, why it should or should not be an Olympic sport. So how, how did that scenario come to be and what, did you see in terms of the ability or your ability to to bridge the gap on that uh, the absence of those regulations? Well, it's kind of a strange situation because obviously in, in America you have the State Athletic Commission, so and that came into play. I, I suppose when there was a large push and even a ban on MMA in various states, so in order to overturn that, then that had to work through the state regulators. But in a lot of the world, it's it's not being banned but it's not actually been officially recognized as a sport and there's been no governance around it either. So in the UK and a lot of Europe and many parts of the world, it's a bit like um, unlicensed boxing, for example, or white collar boxing. It, it just goes on, but it's kind of under the radar and the sport's got more and more popular. 
then even though it's got sponsors, it's on the main TV channels, it's still not regulated by law. And when uh, promotions like the UFC, Bellator and so on, when they travel around the world to some of these markets, they have to bring their own commissioners with them and they work to the guidelines of the United States commissions because that's not required in um, a lot of the world until something goes wrong. So with at Safe MMA, where I saw the gap was it, it was just a legitimate concern really for the safety of fighters going in the ring because there's no requirement for there to be an ambulance there, for there to be doctors ringside and so on as there is in boxing. And I had the um, luck to be introduced to some doctors working on when we were working on a um, TV show about MMA and they were also concerned and they said they'd like to help. So Dr. Jack Kreindler from 76 Harley Street and uh, his colleague Mike Loosemore and various others got involved in, saying, in recommending a standard and being able to bring them together with some other key individuals from the community, for example, referee Mark Goddard, um, there's Rosie Sexton, a UFC fighter from the UK, and some other key promoters. We were able to put together a first standard, but just by general consensus. So it's still voluntary, but it is a standard that when promoters come to the UK, such as Bellator, KSW and so on, they voluntarily choose to work with the charity, work to that standard and have all their athletes cleared to that medical level to fight. So it's still voluntary. And in the UK, the sport is still not yet recognized. If you're like most people, you strive to eat healthy as much as you can, but it gets really difficult when life gets in the way. We get busy, we're running around doing lots of things, it's hard. Being able to eat healthy on the go is super important more than ever now. And that's why I'm here to tell you about G2G Protein Bars. They're the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It's made with all natural ingredients, they're fresh, it tastes like homemade, but it's even better. G2G Bars have 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, there's so many different things that you can enjoy about the great tastes of G2G Bars and what they have to offer. They're fresh, healthy, and delicious. Make sure to get yours at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer in Canada or the US. I'm actually kind of blown away that it's it seems to be still be at a pretty, um, a pretty infantry stage in terms of regulation standards, how much it's grown, because when you see events on television, like UFC, it seems to be a ginormous sport growing so fast. So many people want to watch it, want to be involved, especially in the US and even here in Canada, it's growing in popularity as well. But the fact that it's almost like a, like a traveling circus in the sense that they bring all their stuff and all their bells and whistles with them wherever they go and that outside of that's not regulated might pose a lot of questions for people to get involved. And especially mentioned in the UK that it hasn't reached that level yet. How much in popularity would you say the UFC that MMA has grown in the UK over the last ten years? Let's say. Oh, I mean, it's it's absolutely huge. I mean, similarly to in the US, I mean, the, the UFC is a household name. You've had Conor McGregor from Ireland, which is just across the water from us. Um, we've got a number of big name fighters. People like Bisping is probably the biggest name who's come out to the UK on UFC. And, and so it's, it's hugely, hugely popular. It's a ma massive market and it goes out on our national broadcasters. It's covered by the mainstream media. But the, the way a sport comes to get recognised in, in a lot of different markets is actually underneath the Olympic movement. It's not through state authorities like in the US. So we, as an organisation, IMAF, we have 110 
10 national federations as members. So we've got an organization in these different countries around the world. And in maybe 50% of them, the, our, our member organization is recognized by its national Olympic committee. So in Russia, in Kazakhstan, um, in, in Sweden is recognized. Um, France, it's now got formal recognition. It's got government recognition. But in the other 50%, it isn't yet. So, so this will kind of tie in once we start talking more about why it's important for a sport to get Olympic recognition. This is why, because in many countries, it's seen that sport is independently governed outside. It has an independence to the government, and that comes internationally through the kind of Olympic structures. So it's a lot, a lot, a lot of politics, in short, <laughs> a lot of politics. With the Olympics having just wrapped up the other day, it's just, it's crazy to think of how many different sports there are and the number of events that athletes can participate in, in men's and women's sports and athletes can participate in like 20 different events sometimes under one umbrella and any of like, cause wrestling has been on and off and that one's been, uh, Kind of a fascinating scenario in the sense that it's one of the originals from the first games in 1896 in Athens, but it's disappeared a few times and they try to get it to come back and then not. And we're looking at MMA. MMA, I would presume, has surpassed wrestling in terms of international popularity, just in terms of television broadcast and participation on an international scale. But the fact that it hasn't reached that regulated level yet, tying into the Olympics is now an interesting point because with having seen how big the impact the Olympics was just recently, the MMA being thrown into that mix, I'm sure would do nothing but wonders for the sport and also for the Olympics in general, because like we've just talked about how much it's increased in popularity, you'd think that there is room for the MMA to join the Olympics and for the IOC to recognize it officially. No. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, I think you've touched on a couple of really interesting points because when you talk about the massive popularity of MMA, a lot of MMA fans say, well, actually, MMA doesn't really need the Olympics. It's, MMA doesn't really need the Olympics in terms of getting more exposure, but it's all the other elements that come with that, you know, that, that we've touched on. So, you know, being in that Olympic fold, all those kind of, or most of those national teams will get funding to help them to train, to compete, to get to the Olympics. And at a grassroots level, uh, governments will fund sports which are recognised underneath their National Olympic Committee. So that will help with youth development. It might help with disabled people train in a sport. It might help at a community level. So there's a lot of other benefits which MMA forget. Not it's not the exposure so much, but actually what it could bring to the grassroots and the people who are training in the gyms to the participants and that whole kind of structure of how you um, develop talent up to the top. But it, but it is fascinating. And, and as you say, you get people competing in numerous disciplines under one sport. So, you know, we like to say MMA is almost like the pentathlon of combat sports. They have to have you know, have mastered all those different disciplines, you know, the different striking disciplines, the wrestling, the grappling, and, and so on. So it, so it really... It is the martial arts of all martial arts in that sense. So, so, so certainly you would have thought it would be hugely, hugely popular, but, but, but it's a competed for space and, and we're probably a threat to those other sports that are currently 
in there that, as you say, that, that wrestling's position hasn't always been secure. So the other sports are probably looking over their shoulder and saying, we don't really want MMA to come in. I'm just going to safeguard their own space. So the politics of it just kind of has that knock-on effect. Unfortunately, that kind of goes goes right down to the ground to the kid who steps into the gym for the first time, what opportunities they have, what access they have. When, when a fighter wants to get medical um, help, get a medical test, will a doctor see them if the sport's not um, recognised or regulated? Is the doctor insured to see them? So it, it's kind of part of this kind of big picture. So that's the driving reason for our desire to get into the Olympics, apart from the fact it's sort of the greatest historic sports platform in the world. Obviously, who wouldn't want to be a part of it? But it's a bigger picture that we where we feel there's a, a kind of duty to protect, you know, to to fight for the rights of the participants of our sport. And you look at a sport like boxing. Boxing has been in the Olympics for quite a long time and they have several different athletes participate in all different weight classes. And it's been a pretty, a pretty steady track over the last several years. But then when it comes to wrestling and then MMA, and then you mentioned the politics of it. So I'm kind of curious, why would boxing seem to get precedence over the other combat sports? Because you mentioned MMA is a mixture and has every discipline possible in one for combat sports compared to the others of wrestling and boxing or kickboxing, et cetera. I think it just takes a long time to get in. There's quite a long process to getting recognised. And there's other sports which have been more recently recognised by the IOC. So recently, Thai boxing has Sambo, so some other combat sports, which we would expect at some point soon, or, you know, by soon, I mean, sort of in a number of years' time, we'd expect to see them in, in the game. So... So some of it is that MMA is so new, but but also there will be resistance. So, for example, a sport like squash has tried for many, many years, but they're still not getting through that door. And you'll see that again and again with various sports that are seen as having a conflict of interest with sports which are already in there, who, who aren't accepted. And, and then other very, very similar sports that seem to kind of get, get in. So it doesn't always seem very logical, but, but, but that's the... Um, position we're in at the moment so what have been some of the biggest driving factors and things that imaf have done to put forward the best pitch to the ioc in order to bring mma to the olympics i guess at the soonest possible games that they could because you mentioned it just takes several years so and with the olympics being every four years there might be a, a few games then before there would even be the consideration for its eligibility yeah, I mean, pro- probably. I mean, this, so that there's an organisation you have to be recognised by before you're recognised by the IOC. So, so they're almost like the gatekeepers. They're like the trade union for international sports. So we've been working to get recognition from them for a, a number of years now. And we put in various applications and, um, and there's been a couple of obstacles. We, we say a lot of politicking. Um, and all we're doing at the moment is keeping on kind of lobbying, keeping trying to tick the boxes, keeping trying to do the right thing, keep pushing. But we speak to some sports and they say, well, look, it took us 30 years to get recognition. And you need to be in that pool first before you can then apply to the IOC. So it, it's, not, it's not a short game. It's, it's a long game. But in the meantime, what, what we are doing is um, 
building all the structures that other recognised sports have in place. So, for example, with MMA, it was born on that professional platform, for example, with the UFC. And then everywhere around the world, you started organically getting these other promoters, different gyms. And what we've done is we've kind of drilled back down and started developing grading systems, different types of um, coaches development and courses, different referees courses, licensing for different officials, all these kind of different systems that other sports have. So we're building all of this from the bottom up and we have an international amateur tournament platform. So we have our world championships, our continentals. We have now have our youth world championships. So that's for 12 to 17 year olds with modified rules. And it's and it's built on the Olympic model. So considering the guys need to fight sometimes five days in, in, in a week consecutively, in a tournament format, we modify the rules for safety reasons. So they're, they're still the unified rules, but you know you, you can't knee somebody to the head, for example. They have shin guards as well to protect those breaks, meaning they can kind of come back and fight again. So we've, we've made these kind of modifications so it does fit the Olympic format and we have medal ceremonies and so on and so forth. So if you saw an IMAF event, it is like, a, it is already the MMA Olympic platform, as it were, in or out of the Olympics, we've already established this. And it's exciting too, because now the level of talent coming up, we've got people who've returned several times and they've been multiple time gold medalists. They got the medal in Oceania, then they went to Europe and got a medal at the end of the year. Maybe they got gold in the world. And their standard is just going up and up and up. So what we're seeing now is as these to start to transition to pro is raising the entry bar for pro because if you if you think about it on a, a local market um, most fighters maybe they have four or five fights a year right so and our guys if they've been to you know to two or three continentals and they've been to um, the world championships they've probably had 20 fights in one year just under the IMAF umbrella so their rate of development and their skill is it you know it, it is phenomenal so there's a lot we're doing that's already there if we're in the olympics or not in the olympics by working to that model by working with the different countries where the sport is recognized where it's getting kind of implemented and even with the national federations where it's not through their associations through getting other members to join by associating with other gyms they're starting to build that up anyway so so it's growing anyway. We want to be in the Olympics one day, but with or without it, we're we're growing the sport. So I think that's the most important thing. With many of the countries that are involved with having MMA as a sport that's starting to grow, it's interesting to see where the athletes are coming from. Because as seen in the Olympic Games over the last month, some countries put out some of the best athletes in events that where it's, it seems like they're very small or they're a tiny nation that don't have that many people to begin with, but they are really great at outputting, whether it's in weightlifting or whether it's in combat sports or others. So with some of the countries that have MMA as a growing sport, what are some of the places that you'd say have really seen the biggest growth spurts in terms of popularity of MMA participants at the youth level and also growing into the professional ranks over the time that you've been involved with IMAF? 
Well, I think it's um, interesting that there's a, a, a huge um, amount of talent coming from Eastern Europe now. So Russia is, is is very, very developed and they have a huge talent pool. So they have regional competitions leading internationals and then they have um, a kind of tryout for the IMF championships to pick the national team, which is government funded. So they've got a pool of thousands of people they're pulling from to send people to the world. So they're training full time. Uh, it'll be Kazakhstan, where we've got our world championships coming up. Um, they're publicised in the national media as well. They'll Tajikistan, um, they're a smaller country. They've not hit the top rankings, but after the um, youth championships recently, they went home and they were kind of greeted at the airport by the press. They're shaking hands with their government ministers and, and so on. The country which has been really interesting, which is a small island, is um, Bahrain in the Middle East and Sheikh Khalid bin Hamid. He's invested a huge amount in the sport. So he has his promotion Brave that you may have heard of. And he has funded three of our world championships there. But, but they're um, bringing over quite a lot of fighters from Dagestan in, in Russia and people from Brazil and um, getting them onto their national team there. So, so they're investing a huge amount. But at a grassroots level, um, Mexico is doing an absolutely fantastic job in terms of its grading system and coaching and with youth development on, on that side of things. So you've got different countries doing different things. The USA um, is doing really well in the youth ranks. So we don't have a, a strong US federation at the moment, but we work with US Fight League. And um, in 2019, they hit the top of the medals table for the youth. And I think... Are they third this time? They dropped down a bit, but, but they're still doing really, really well. So, so the US has got some serious kids. <laughs> the MMA is it's just, it's so fascinating to watch, in all honesty, because I know that it's a sport that can happen so fast, but other times it seems like a marathon. And with seeing how much it's grown in popularity and with the Olympic movement, I personally would have thought that it would be something strongly considered or at the, at the front of the pack in terms of sports that would go to the Olympic games next, knowing that there will be a lot of red tape to pass through before it becomes officially recognized by the IOC. But you mentioned there's tens of nations that have formal recognition, and then there's ones that don't. So what are some of the issues that the countries face where it's not as regulated as in the ones where it is, like you mentioned in the UK, how that now has that? Well, I think to be recognised by the National Olympic Committee in some countries, they defer to the international movement. So those are the organisations that we're having kind of difficulties getting recognised by. So if we're not recognised by the IOC, if we're not recognised by GASIF, which is the, um, the global sports body, then those governments won't recognise you as well. Whereas you've got other sports ministries and, and national Olympic committees that will kind of act independently. So, so, so that's what, one of the big obstacles. Um, and some of it's personal preference. Sometimes you've got um, people who are perhaps older or more traditional or, or just don't like MMA, you know, and they're in there and, and you've got to build more of a case. And some, some of our countries, the organisations they're run by, our, our members are run by volunteers. And so they've still got some work to do to develop themselves and to build up their organisation to make sure they meet all the different criteria, which can 
take time. So that, that there are different stages of development. Some are well-funded, some are very professional, and some you've got a small group of gyms who are just kind of learning how to how to develop the sport and how to tick these boxes. So it's, it's a, a mixed landscape. The MMA is continuing to grow. And so with how much it's grown in the time since you've worked for IMAF, how much do you think it will continue to grow over the next five to 10 years if it's staying on the same pace that it's grown in the time that you've been with the organization and or if you think that it will grow at a faster pace than it already has since you've been involved with IMF? Yeah, I think it's growing phenomenally. I've seen the sport overall grow absolutely exponentially in, in, in my time in this. But um, the, the whole kind of grassroots side of it, the, the pace at which that's developing. And, and I think as people start seeing the results, so they start seeing the results of what we're doing, and they, they see the caliber of athletes coming out, and they, and they see that, that that platform is getting bigger and it's getting more glossy and it's getting more coverage and it's getting more polished, then, then it just attracts more. So I, I think as, as the younger generations come up, there are these new opportunities that we've created, and, and that will just be the way, way forward, whereas at the time we've come in, it's almost having to kind of work backwards and kind of change a way of thinking or work against the existing culture and a bit of how, how you do things in sport. But, um, but we know we've opened up new doors. And I think what's really exciting with our youths as well is when you think about the, uh, like the older generation, even you know, existing generation of mixed martial artists in the pro ranks, most of them have come from other combat sports originally they might come from judo or starting taekwondo and crossed over there's not many who, who have started in mixed martial arts because it didn't exist as a discipline in its own right whereas these kids now they've only ever trained in mixed martial arts from day one when they went into a gym age sort of five or six or whatever they've trained in mixed martial arts so that's becoming more and more normal so so much is changing already that it's i feel like we're part of a tide really and, and it might take a, a while, but it's but you can't hold back a tide. You know, it's inevitable. In the end, we're going to get there. Exactly. It's, uh, it doesn't happen all at once. It's very gradual. And then eventually it happens all at once. So did you ever see yourself being involved with, with MMA growing up uh, in the UK? Or, or how did you how did you? come to the realization that this was something that you want to, to really get yourself involved in? Well, I don't think it existed when I was a kid. And I, I wasn't somebody who followed the early UFC, but um, at some point in time, I wanted to learn self-defense. And somebody told me about a gym around the corner from where I was. They said there's a cage fighting gym. I don't really know what cage fighting was, but this is what the tabloid press used to call MMA. And, um, and I went along and asked if I could train and, and I did. And, and kind of got sucked in from there. There was a friend I made there who um, wanted to get her first fight and she asked if I could help promote her. And effectively I became her agent and started getting a different kind of publicity and press. I already had a business of my own and I was already doing some PR for that. So she saw that I, you know, that, that I was getting coverage. So, and it was really from there. And it, I think it's just because the sport was growing so fast and there's so many gaps, just a lot of opportunities opened up you know, very, very quickly. And it, and then it suddenly sort of came almost like my full time thing, whereby I ended up folding my other business because there was so much sort of demand there. 
and there really wasn't anybody um, working at, doing any kind of professional PR in the grassroots in the UK at that stage. So there was that you know, at the time, as I said, there wasn't really a medical standard. There were kind of a lot, lot, lot of gaps. You know, so there was either like the UFC and then everything else was very, um, very grassroots. Yeah, well, the MMA has not been around for a super long time. And like that old saying goes, one thing leads to another. So being involved with having the interest in self-defense and then it parlaying into promoting someone as a fighter and then getting involved with the medical regulations. Sometimes it's crazy to think how these things all string together to where you are currently. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it's always kind of exciting when when you feel that yeah, you know, it's talking about this kind of wave before when you when you feel that something's moving in a direction because um, I, mean, I had my own business prior to that and just after the recession the 2008 crash it, it, it was very very slow so you're pushing your marketing you're bringing in money and it's it was it was hard it's like going against the grain and then you've got something else that comes along and everything's like moving you know it's like a flood and you're like wow <laughs> you just jump on your surfboard a little bit and and i think that's just in in general in life with different you know whatever kind of lane or sector people are, are in there's some things are going to be a kind of push and there's other things are just kind of that they're, they're, they're moving you know and it's kind of guess you know if you're if you're lucky enough to get swept up in that then um and it's not you know there's a lot of opportunities there so Izzy, we're getting towards the end of our time on today's episode. So I want to ask you a few more questions to have some fun and wrap up before we part for today. Okay. So the first question I have for you is what is the thing you're most proud of with your involvement with IMAF? One specific instance or moment or event, or just, it can be a more broad thing. I think what springs to mind most is just because we've come from the recent Youth World Championships. And I, I'm so proud of the way my team delivered. I'm, re I'm really proud of the media output, of the brand output, of everything we were able to put around that event, the, the live streaming. It was the first um, kids event that we were able to live stream. And now we're going to have the um, on, on demand there. I can set, send you a a code to, to have, a, have a look yourself. But but that was really exciting because thinking where we came from, we've not always had the kind of the capacity or the, the funds to strap all that around an event and really give it that exposure and give it that platform and really kind of you know, promote the athletes as we, were, as we would like going back to kind of 214. So we really had to build from the, the bottom up. But, uh, but I think um, that was that was really special and, and and as i said the level of talent coming from the, the kids the sense of um kind of honor respect sportsmanship from these different kids they were all from different nations with their flags and different teams and, and, and the way they were all worked towards each other and the fact that we actually ha had a platform that we could really kind of showcase that on now and really celebrate it so so, so that was a really really good feeling it sounds like something to be very proud of considering how well things went and especially things that are out of your control, like seeing the athletes have mutual respect for each other and take pride in the events can only just make your, your chest beam with pride as well, because it takes a lot 
of work and effort and a lot of discipline, I'm sure, to be able to put these events together and then to see it all run smoothly as if there's there's nothing that goes off without a hitch, you know? Yeah, I think that's it with live events and and, and, you, and you work within sports and I'm sure you, you've seen that kind of close at hand as, as, as well, that, that there's all that all that kind of work and all that planning that goes on in the run up to the event and the first day is always really tough because you're ironing out creases and glitches behind the scenes and you and and, and you you know you always feel like you're you're fighting away at that sense but you get through to kind of like second day and after that you've kind of set everything up and after that it's like it's kind of like it's going downhill there's not much more you can do you just kind of roll with it a little bit and it's um yeah that's a good feeling to feel like actually it's actually it's here and actually it's real and particularly when we've been working on zoom and under lockdowns over the last kind of 18 months to actually kind of physically be there there's been all this planning there's been in everybody's heads and our conversation it's all been on paper and then then suddenly the cage is there and suddenly you know all the kids are there and the teams turn up and you're like wow this is actually real and we created all of this so that, that's always exciting that moment the event kind of comes together and you're like right this is it the show time <laughs> what do you think you are best at when it comes to organizing and executing events for IMF? Myself personally, you're part of a really big chain, really, really big group. So on my side of my work is um, coordinating, I suppose, it's coordinating and organizing and trying to bring in the, the best people and make all the pieces kind of fit together. So you're know, you know, sort of saying, once it actually gets to kind of time to kind of press go on the event everything's going to run as smoothly as possible and, and and after that trying to be the kind of glue that holds all those those pieces together so so there's a big operation um and and it's really kind of key as well as supposed to keep keep everybody kind of cheerful and motivated and support and inspired and so so that people can perform at their best so that that's what I'd always strive to do but it's it's, it's hard to identify your own best strengths, I suppose. <laughs> no, that's very fair. It, it definitely is something to be cognizant of, but also at the same time, it can be difficult to see because the event just seems like a blur when you're having to go through the thick of all the organizing and calling people, coordinating, putting everyone in their place, making sure everyone knows their roles. And then when it's all said and done, you can't even sit back and think for a second, oh, well, what was the thing I did? I, I, I can't even remember, whatever. Let's just get to the next thing because it's, it's already rolling before we know it. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's a bit of that, and also it's just because so many hands go towards making the event that that that, that it's, it is a team collaboration. You, you, yeah, you, you put everything in place, but it's, it's afterwards you kind of know what happened, I suppose. The final question: We've been talking a lot about MMA, and the biggest form of representation it takes in the media is with UFC being super popular with its international televisation. So I want to know from you, who do you think is the best UFC fighter of all time? Oh gosh. I mean, I, I, I'm probably not, I'm not, not the best person to ask to be fair, but I'm not so fully up to speed with all of their output nowadays. But um, like one of my, my favorite fighters has always been um, Christiane Cyborg. She, I, she didn't do so well on the UFC platform, but I've, I've really got a soft spot for her. So she, she's my greatest of all time for sure well that's absolutely outstanding Izzy I want to thank you for having been on today's episode to go for one. one is this it Stiegel touchdown Stiegel touchdown
Several different countries. Thanks for listening to today's episode to of Chat Talk About with the MMA and your involvement with IMAX. Check out our social so media pages for, for more. Today's episode. At Huddle well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a privilege, and, and good luck with the for full rest audio. Of your, your shows. Head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode. For full video. The head over to YouTube at for Huddle Up with Matthias Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.